podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Five Year Plan podcast, episode 515. Although, if you look at your feed, there are two pod extras available on the main feed since our last midweek episode. And that is because, obviously, we've had some pretty big news going on at Crystal Palace Football Club, in addition to the away point at Goodison Park that we will be talking about. Um, To talk through all of it with me tonight is... The Emmanuel Pogatetz to my Oliver Glasner, Jack Pierce. Okay, I like Anderson. that. Has he even um, been appointed yet? Is, is it official? No, and I'll, uh, I'll look very, very daft if if that turns out not to be true. But I'm mm. willing to willing to roll the dice on that one. I, th- I think it might be. Last time I think Emmanuel Pogatetz visited Selhurst Park was part of a Middlesbrough team that beat us one 0 on the way to us being relegated in two thousand four. Five season, so a lot of one nil, yeah, a lot of one nil defeats that season, and he yes. was part of one of them. So we'll, we'll see. But let, as as Rob said last night on the Patreon, it's worth the Patreon on its own. This the the shorts versus later housing conversation was was a treat <laughs> for the ears. So yeah, it did it, 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 it did get <laughs> a bit crazy, but very much worth the list as we said. And joining us, you might have heard his chuckle there in a rare main feed appearance. Adam Sells, it's great to finally speak with you. How are you, sir? Thank you. In in the words of uh, Alexander O'Neill and Sherelle for the 80 soul freaks amongst us, it's been a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I can't remember the last time I was on the midweek podcast and never with you two youngsters, the whippersnappers. Yeah. But, no, this uh, is... So you, you two make me feel particularly old, even though I think I, I'm probably the oldest, apart from Kevin Julian, maybe, I think I'm probably the oldest of the uh, of the Crystal Palace clap trappers that come on here and talk nonsense, but uh, yeah, nice but, to be with you. Anyway, I'm sure you'll make me feel young, you two again. So we'll, I'll, I'll try and keep the uh, references to uh, to 80s and 90s moving forward. Then no, uh, I'll keep Emmanuel Pogatex out. Well, I, know, I know you're a bit of a you're a bit of a music man, Joe, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. So I did yeah, know that know. song. At so least. you knew you knew the opening line, didn't you? Yes. Saturday loved that was anyway. Oh yeah. So, uh, Hopefully, hopefully this weekend there'll be some of that, Selzy. So yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. When you dropped Alexander O'Neill, I just presume you were going to talk about criticising oh, all sorts of things, Crystal good. Palace. Yeah. But yeah, all right, yeah, fair enough. You should have known I'm a bit of a fake boy now, Jack. Do you know what I mean? No, no. That, yours one was a better shout, mate. That's a, a niche yeah, shout. Deep so cut. yeah, deep a deep cut. A deep boat, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you played it. Right, uh, before we get underway, uh, we are, of course, sponsored this season by Green King Sport. So much football televised in the coming months, Premier League, Champions League, Football League, and much more. And where better to take it all in than at your local Green King Sport pub? And of course, if you download their app, you get 10% off drinks during any televised game in there. And that includes non-alcoholic alternatives as well, if that's more your speed. Also... Wanted to make you aware of the Palace for Life Foundation's Bike to Wolves fundraising challenge. It's the fourth iteration of this. They've previously cycled to Bournemouth, Southampton, and last season's Bike to Villa, which raised over £43,000. 
So this is a cycling trip to see Palace take on Wolves at Molyneux on Saturday, 11th of May. And the foundation are inviting supporters to come along and raise valuable funds for their work in the community in South London. Everyone taking part will receive a ticket to the match. It's 160 miles. uh, And there are two types of challenge. So if you want to do it at your own speed or you don't want to be, there are some breaks, there is an option for that. And if you fancy yourself as more of a, a pro Tour de France candidate in the future, there is a, a different level you can go and different group you can travel with. So open for everybody that would be interested in such a cycle. Um, sign-ups are open now. Um, we will be speaking to someone from the foundation next week. But in the meantime, palaceforlife.org if you want to learn more about that. Um, a very, you know, just the latest thing that Palace for Life Foundation do. Will you be giving it a work. go, Joe, or what? Are you I'm going? A, I'm appalling on the bike, Adam, I, I'll, I'll be honest. So I might yeah. dodge that one. The uh, the Marathon March might be more of my speed this year. The 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 cycle, I, I would, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet. But... I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think my testicles <laughs> recovered from, from the last time I got on a Peloton, so I don't think I'll be joining them, to be fair. Yeah, you can always, you can always, yeah, no Peloton, yeah. Peloton to Molyneux, yeah. it'll be quite a long trip because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So, I'm trying to think of where we start because, of course, as we said, that we've had these two emergency pods, if you like, um, for one for the appointment of our new manager, but before that, of course, the confirmation that Roy Hodgson was to leave the club. After exactly 200 games in charge of the club, that Chelsea game last week was number 200 for Palace uh, under Roy. Um, obviously, a lot has been said on on those episodes. There's been a lot of positive testimonials and tributes, um, which has been a relief given the manner of the last few weeks and the really sad decline and deterioration of the whole situation and how fans were beginning to talk about him and and how that was maybe affecting his enjoyment of the game and and the job. Um, Adam, your how how it, it was quite a sad way how it's all played out, really. I don't think anyone wanted this to happen, but did you feel we'd arrived at a point where it was inevitable? That would be the word exactly that I would use. I think the problem is, I think probably since the Bournemouth home game, I've felt that, it was going to happen at, at some stage. And I I think people perhaps that have listened to me a lot over the over the period that Roy's been here might have expected me to have a sort of change of heart or a different view at some point. But I have to be honest, I think the the bloke has been poorly treated all round, actually, you know, in in respect of of how it's all ended. But he was never given a proper hand to work with at all during the season. And, you know, I had to look at the bench last night at Goodison Park. We had five players on the bench. I think had one Premier League start, Matthias Franson, the last game, uh, you know, after a team that's been in the Premier League for 11 seasons. You know, how does that happen? You know, and and I'm, again, I don't want to, sound like I'm wise after the event. I'd said prior to a ball being kicked this season that that I thought we were taking far too many risks in terms of the squad, the size of it, the quality of it, 
And again, I'll repeat myself, the money spent, with the money we've got is the money we've got. I'm not, I, I accept Crystal Palace's financial situation. I accept Crystal Palace's, you know, abilities to attract players, you know, that are, are, are people that, that, that we want and maybe obviously other clubs will want too. But I couldn't understand the lack of numbers, the lack of depth, even if they're lone players, free. We, we, I mean, we still haven't taken any lone players in, in the season. You know, it's it's just, it's unfathomable, really. And, you know, Roy, all he had was a very small deck of cards that basically only had two aces in it. And he shuffled and shuffled and shuffled and shuffled and tried to find ways to win football matches. But, I mean, it's it's absolutely pitiful when you when you consider the the options that he's had available to him, for instance, in wide areas. We've got Michael, who is a you know a top talent, possibly arguably the greatest talent the club's ever had in some ways, because his ceiling is so high. But then Jordan you know, a player that nobody's ever really wanted or taken to particularly in the club. He's of late he's he's achieved some recognition, I think, with the fan base, for example. But if you if you look at Jordan, you know, I think most of the time when Wilfred Zaha was here, there weren't too many fans screaming for him to play in one of the wide areas week to week. You know, Jess Raksaki, you know, good young talent, played in 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 League One last year, and then Matthias Franz, a 19-year-old Brazilian. This after losing your most most effective and most important player probably in the club's history. So you only have to look at that, and then then you're having to use people like Jeffrey Schlapp, who's better as a an attacking midfield player, for example, in the roles. And it just it typified the the you know the hand the wide players that, that Roy's been dealt, really. And I, I'm I'm still adamant, and I, I will remain the same and unchanged. Roy hasn't underachieved with the squad of players that are his disposal. I think Palace are basically exactly where they should be in the Premier League, there or thereabouts, with the players at their disposal. Throw in the horrific injury list, and I think I counted last night eight players that were unavailable from our first team squad um and again you you have to say what else can he do or could he do much better and the fans i think sorry i'm going on a little bit here but right. i think the fans are and have been far too expectant you know people sort of say oh we should have a top 10 finish what the big 6 newcastle aston villa west ham brighton there's 10 teams to start with and then I'd argue that our squad is probably weaker overall than the likes of Wolves and some of the other teams that are in that bracket, if you like. Even Bournemouth have got more options in terms of attacking talent. Now, what I would say is that Evs and Michael, for instance, are probably the two greatest talents that any of the squads have that I'm talking about there. But there isn't really anybody else. And that is where it's been, and that's where it's been for Roy. He's had to try and find ways of winning, you know, and, and this is where I, I really don't believe it's it's on the manager. At the end of last season, 
we played at home to West Ham and we scored four goals. And we won the game 4-3 because we couldn't defend properly uh, the, the, the size and physicality at corners. So it put a different reflection on the scoreline versus what I witnessed with my eyes during the yeah. game. And during that game, we had, I think, Jordan playing as the number nine and we had Michael on the right, Wilfred on the left, Ebbs playing through the middle and we played what I would describe as champagne football, like fantastic football. It was great to watch. We looked like we could score goals at will. And that tells me, and has always told me with Roy, when he's had those players, and you go back to the games we beat Leicester 5 and we had Ruben Loftus-Cheek and these kind of players. He, if you give him the players, Roy can deliver. Roy, I think, I don't know what the stats were, but I think we probably won two out of the last five games. The two games we won, Michael and Ebbs scored all of the goals, three goals each time between them, right? It's the same. The players are the issue. The playing squad has always been the issue. Roy has been dealt a very, very, very bad hand. But Roy being Roy, shuts his mouth, gets on with it, does the job. And he ends up being the full guy. We've seen it so many times. As soon as, as soon as the board and the hierarchy come under pressure at a football club, they fire the manager. And it's made a lot of the fans happy. You know, I'm seeing today, oh, let's bring scarves to Palace and make it a really great atmosphere. Why weren't they prepared to do that when the team needed help, when we've been able to put such a weak team on the pitch? You know, some of the games this season, nil-nil at home to Fulham, nil-nil at home to Nottingham Forest, they were great triumphs, really, given the players that we were able to put on the pitch against teams that are in our bracket in mid-table. You know, I just, I just think all of it is so unfair and so wrong. And obviously, Roy has ultimately paid the price. And he's paid the price because when the window's shut and everybody forgets about he didn't get this and he didn't have that and he shouldn't have this and he should have that, ultimately, he's working with a squad which overall I'd probably go as far to say may be the worst that we've had in our Premier League period, you know, of 11 seasons in terms of overall balance and depth. I'm not talking about quality because... That's the discourse, isn't it, Adam? That's That's the discourse about having some quality players in the team, Gay, Anderson, Decore, Ebbs, Elise, versus the reality of... Have you got 16 players to call upon? Because injuries and suspensions will happen throughout a 38-game season. That's how the anyway, lazy pundits. That's how the lazy yeah. pundits kind of dismiss yeah. our fears about what the situation yeah. of the club. They go, "Well, you've got X, Y, Z, and you've got these four or five players. You'll they'll be fine." It's like, yeah, but we've seen barely any of them recently. That's why yeah. we're in real but, trouble. Uh, and that and that is a problem. I'm I'm sorry. I'm apologising to the listeners already because this sounds just like a monologue so far. Because all I've done is. <laughs> talk and rant, but I just, I do believe, and people, you know, the disrespect shown to Roy from our fan base, it absolutely frustrates me. Oh, he's bailed out by Wilfred Zaha. Bailed out. Is Erling Haaland bailing out Pep Guardiola every week and Mo Salah bailing out Jurgen Klopp as well? You know, I mean, what nonsense. He's one of his players. He's using the best players. It's, It's not an embarrassment to have players that are good enough. And when the players aren't good enough, the manager gets the blame. And I think 
In Roy's case, he's proven when he's had his players on the pitch, he can deliver results. And that's why, ultimately, and, I, and I'll say this now, because I think it's, we're going to talk about this later on, I'm sure, but we have just taken a massive, massive punt with our Premier League future. And I really hope that that uh, Herr Glasner is uh, able to be more Roberto De Zerbi than Jesse Marsh, quite honestly, because these, this is a hell of a punt. Now, this guy, let's all hope for our sake, is able to do this and and achieve success and great things and all the things that we want and would like from a very modern manager, let's say. But I think it's very, very, very risky. And at this point, I would have been inclined to stick with it as far as I could and just try and grind out the results when we had the players back because I think that is a less risky strategy. But they've spun the wheel, taken the punt, and we're going to have to see how it plays out, really. And I'm, I'm fascinated, but I do think at times that the... And this is probably me as a human a little bit talking here. I hate the mob rule uh, sort of, um, you know, wanting someone's head on a stick, you know, and this kind of witch hunt stuff that goes on and through media, social media, whatever. Whether it's football, whether it's any other walk of life, you know, I, I think that some of the extremes and the things that people say and do you know, not recognising that these people have lives and families and all of the things. Now, obviously, you know that I I work in the football business and have done for 30 years. And, you know, I've had different experience, whether I'm talking to you, writing about it, coaching goalkeepers, you know, selling products, representing players. I've done lots and lots of different things. And I'm, you know, and obviously you're privy to lots and lots of things that nobody ever hears or knows some of which we were talking off air before we even started, you know, just for context. Um, and you see these things and you hear these things and you understand these people's lives a little bit more. And, you know, just even around Crystal Palace, and I'm not going to say anything that I'm not allowed to or shouldn't, but, you know, there are players with things that go on in their lives and have done in the last couple of few seasons at Crystal Palace that have been quite heavily targeted by fans, and if they were aware of their real situations at times, they'd actually be really embarrassed by their conduct. And, you know, in terms of Roy, I think a lot of people, given what's happened to him, collapsing on the training ground and so on, should be embarrassed by their conduct and the things they think it's okay to say and do. You know, walking down the touchline against Bournemouth and some blokes are on a bottle, a 76-year-old bloke who's the most successful manager in the history of the football club, the only bloke that's kept us in the league for five seasons. Half of our time in the Premier League in this current run, Steve Parrish in his uh, sort of statement in the departure announcement, he, he was I'd never seen it phrased like that before. But yeah, he's been manager for half of our time in the Premier League since promotion. But Joe, these people don't recognise any of this. You know, it's almost like it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. All right, okay. I'm 54 years old now, I'm afraid, and I've watched Crystal Palace for 48 seasons, and this is the best period in the club's history, bar none. 
were the best chairman the club's ever had. And that means that you can be critical of Steve. Steve is someone I like. Steve's a friend of mine, someone I'm very fond of. Do I think Steve's got it all right in the transfer market? No, I don't think he has. But then I also think that Steve doesn't control everything that goes on at Crystal Palace, much as he's a little bit the full guy, just like Roy is in the same situation. You know, I think he has to pull all the strings and get the other three to agree to everything and make it work. And I can't imagine knowing those characters in the way that I do from brief, brief encounters and things that that would be very easy to do either. And yet Steve is the full guy who, again, has achieved great things, 11 seasons consecutively in the Premier League. But, you know, and again, the disrespect, it disgusts me, quite honestly, and the personal remarks and all of that stuff. People should just be ashamed. I don't know why they think it's okay, why they think it's all right to do these things to people. It's not. It's football. It's sport. I'm all for having an opinion. We're all on here giving our opinion and talking about the game. But there are lines that are crossed. And I don't understand, as a Crystal Palace fan, for example, if you want the team to stay in the Premier League and you want the team to be successful, oh, let's turn up and make it as toxic as possible so that the manager gets the sack. I mean, come on. You know, this is just all outrageous, really. I'll sack the board. You don't sack the board. They own the club. They don't get sacked. That's not how it works. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Just the... The claptrap and shit that these people talk. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who, who's who's involved in it and deals with people in it all day long. And I've got to tell you, football is a bit of a jungle and it isn't full of great people all the time. But again, there is a line where, you know, people's families and stuff have to read and listen to these kind of things. And save your opinion for our podcast or you want to put a question in or, or something like that. Why you ha- exactly, but why you have to be so vitriolic and want to put it on people and all that sort of stuff, you know, totally inappropriate. And Dils, I can, just, I Joe, can I ask Joe sorry. a question? Then I'll throw it to you, just in terms of the atmosphere and, and everything that's come with the last, what are we talking, two months, nearly three months since that, since that Bournemouth game. I think that's a good line in the sand of where things, you know, started taking a turn for the worse. Joe, from your perspective, the announcement, we've talked about the announcement and you and I spoke after the Brighton game and talked about whether where our heads were and we felt that was probably the moment where we were lost in terms of the changes needed because this has become unsustainable now. I couldn't see any way back for Roy. But it, the announcement yesterday and the news over the weekend for me, it, I was just hit with this kind of wave of relief that it's over for his sake more than anything. And I just yeah. wondered where, where your head was, Joe, because we've talked so many times this season about, about Roy the bloke and the fact that he is, you know, not to talk about his age and, and the frailty that comes with that, be 76 and to hear of a man that's collapsing at work in any walk of life is really worrying. But when it's your football manager, you know, the bigger picture emerges quite quickly. But you, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Joe. I know, I know you're leading this week, but I just thought I'd, I'd throw the ball your way as well. Relief, but also... In listening to the, um, because I think so the 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 pod on Monday, the first pod that came out on Monday about Roy was done before the f- subsequent announcement had been made that Glasner had been appointed, and so it was just solely focused on Roy and it. This sort of stuff was discussed, but then it turned into you know reflecting on our favourite memories of his time at the club and both spells, and by the end of that, I was desperately sad 
like I was just really sad that this was how it was closing out, how it got there. Because yes, I, I think we've got to a point where it was the only kind of card left to play. However, I do feel we, we said for many a time, injuries are really hamstringing Roy here. Um, the lack of signings in the summer and then even the loan market not being utilized in January is everything that could go wrong was hitting Roy really hard. And there was some patience early on in the season for it being about people seem to appreciate the situation a little bit more in that, that Forest game, for example. I think people sort of got it for a bit and decided that, well, Michael will be back soon. It's okay. But then when the injuries re- recur and then suddenly it goes, right, what are we actually able to achieve with what we've got? It then started to get really unpleasant. I just, you know, all good things come to an end, but I just really, I, I, I hope that if anything, you know, there was a lot of people with their tails between their legs after what happened on Thursday. I think it doesn't reflect well on some of the fans. It doesn't reflect well on some people higher up at the club as well in terms of how they navigated. I don't have a problem necessarily with looking for a successor if you know as a club that you're going to move on from him. I think that's needed. Yeah. I think Palace have been quite pure of heart, or certainly Steve Parrish has. I mean, with Roy's reappointment, Vieira was let go, and the impression was that I don't think he. He had spoken to anybody until that decision was made and then he went and sought out Roy. And there's a little bit of a gap. Paddy McCarthy taking charge of two games, was it? Um, Arsenal or maybe away, just yeah. the one, maybe just yeah, Arsenal yeah. away. Um, and this time, I think they wanted to avoid that. Although, because of what happened to Roy at the, at the training ground, I think the plan was that Roy was going to take Monday's game and we would have that kind of farewell and the tension would be relieved a bit. He'd get actually a reception he deserved. I, I was desperately sad, especially if there's a situation where he no longer wants. I imagine a door, the door will be open for Roy, certainly from the club's perspective, about coming back on the last day for an actual proper farewell. Um, there, I could totally understand if he didn't want to do it. I could totally understand if he felt no thanks. I've that was just all all been very unpleasant for me. I, I'm not sure, and that that made me just really really quite down um you know i'm not fist pumping the air we'll get to we'll, we'll get to glasgow in a second it's pretty i think it's quite a decent appointment but just in terms of this being the full the full stop on roy's time with palace is just unfair was the word you used there adam in, in amongst there and i think yeah just dealt such a bad hand this summer but Roy Stoic to the end. Yes, he's had some grouchy things in press conferences. I, I totally understand why. He's put his foot in it a couple of times, sure. But again, probably appointed because his tolerance of that sort of thing was way higher than you think Vieira uh, was was begging, <laughs> was quite vocal about asking for signings. Um, even prior, if you go further back, you know, it was a big issue with Pulis. It was a big issue with... Joe, we've uh, just appointed a man who left Frankfurt in the mess of him demanding more resources. So it, it's an interesting change of direction for the club. Yeah, really intriguing because Sky made a Sky during the Everton game made a big point of that. I guess we'll we'll let's move on to it. Oliver Glass has been appointed, 49-year-old Austrian, previously at biggest jobs at Lask in Austria, and then Wolfsburg, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, sort of improving upon their league position. And then in the case of Eintracht Frankfurt, I think they finished 11th that season, but they won the Europa League and they did so knocking out Barcelona, um, beat West Ham in the in the semi-finals that year. And the, I guess in, tr- in terms of the context of a Palace project, 
lots of players left Eintracht Frankfurt for significantly inflated fees or increased fees to the value of what they were when he came along. Um, he, it's essentially his fault, I'd say, that Wout Weghorst is a, a so regularly a thing. <laughs> um, he, he, he achieved a lot with him at Wolfsburg and it wouldn't shock me if he became... Uh, if he popped down to Sellers Park in the summer, actually, given when you look at kind of how his career trajectory is getting on. Um, I'm trying to watch Selzy on the screen to see if any of this is landing with him in terms of anything <laughs> he's heard already, to be honest. But... in the immediate jack but there's certain things that fans have had frustrations with and towards the end we were like okay I can see and why changes need to happen for all the stuff that we maybe get to more on Glasner's approaches and stuff Jesse Marsh went really big on Sky Sports Monday Night Football think, suggesting that what we'd set what we started was an implementation of Glasner's football which might have been a bit of a swing and a miss it was half it wasn't too far away but it, you know I think that was just the team that we would have to play with the players that were available because it was, I think even Hughes and Schlupp pulled out of that game. So um, maybe, yeah, we haven't seen his football yet. It's been told to be quite positive. But he's going to still, in the early, in, in the Burnley game, in the Tottenham game, and maybe beyond that too, he's going to meet some of the same problems that Roy's had to deal with, right? What, like, yeah. th- there's, there's only so much to be pulled out of the hat in the immediate few weeks. Um, I mean, if, if Glasnabal is reliant on putting Joel Ward at the right side of a back three, then um, I, I, yeah, hopefully there's more to it than that. But look, I think the Jesse Marsh thing last night was a little bit overplayed. I think it was a bit of a convenient truth for Jesse Marsh to to get really passionate about. There's an association with the Red Bull franchise, which he's a, a big character as part of. Um, Glasner has has issue with, with RB Salzburg. Um, so yeah, that was, that was it. I watched from home last night and it was quite interesting to hear how impassioned Jesse Marsh was about the impact that Glasner will have and supposedly had in short time last night, which I, I didn't really buy at the time. And I know on the post-match pod, there was a uh, little time for that as well. But I think you're right. I think the players that we had available, particularly with the absence of Hughes and Schlupp, um, meant that the three at the back made sense and that becomes a five. And then come on to Adam Morton, who I thought had an excellent first 75 minutes last night. Um that type of formation will suit him. So there were some benefits of adopting that approach last night. But I think the biggest directing factor of how we set up last night was player availability. As Sills, you said, you only have to look at who was on the bench last night to see that there really was little alternative to pick those 11 blokes and say, this is how we're going to set up. Let's try and do something. Um, Glasner's an interesting one. I, I think what I'm really intrigued by is if he's been available this whole time, since the end of last season, when the initial bit of Roy's brief ended, he kept us up. Why is he interested in taking this job now? What has he been assured of in February 2024 that he couldn't be assured of in May, June, July 2023? That That's what I'd like to know. I will never know what's happened. We'll see probably this summer. You have to presume that he has been promised backing in the summer because for everything we've said so far in this episode, we've been saying all season, this squad is not fit to adopt what sounds like quite a energy-consuming approach to playing football. Um, so I'm intrigued to see where we go. Um, I'm a bit like you, Joe. I think it is a quite a positive um, appointment. I'm, I'm more excited by this appointment than I was by the Frank de Boer appointment. I thought that was quite a vanity appointment. This one strikes me as a footballing appointment. 
But yeah, I, I just hope that given what we know in terms of what was not made available to Roy last summer and that this guy has in the in the recent history of his coaching career fallen out with the high aboves at his football clubs because he deemed it not to receive or he deemed it that he was not receiving the backing he required. I think the club will now need to to put two step feet forward, um or sorry, two feet forward and make it very clear they're back in this man. Otherwise, we might have a bit of a car crash in our situation come the summer. Yeah. Adam, I mean, the Everton game, which I guess we'll just... It, this all just merge into one, I guess, because there's so much to speak about. <laughs> so much to unravel. We're, we're talking about so many things. At yes, once. at once. You asked me questions about 10 minutes ago. I'm trying to remember which ones I'm going to answer first. But yeah, it's really... I mean, there's so much... All of us are talking at length, really, because there is so much to, to say. You know, first of all, just going back a pace about Jack, you wanted to know whether I thought it was right in terms of a human element for Roy. Yeah, that relief side of I, it. I, yeah, I, yeah. First of all, I, I I felt that you know, but as I said to you, I'm I'm not somebody who likes a witch hunt or a or the sort of head on a stick mentality. You know, I don't do politics, but. Some bloke that drove in lockdown to Durham Castle or wherever he went, I'm not sure warranted about 300 people outside his door for a week at a time. Do you know what I mean? However wrong people think it is, and however much they dislike it, and it was wrong, and he shouldn't have done it, and so on. But I don't think the Yorkshire Ripper would have had that for the same, uh, for the same, um, uh, you know, punishment or or crime. Um, so if you were, if if listener had either Barnard Castle or Jack the Ripper on their Selsey bingo card yeah. tonight, fair play to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, they they will have they will have done well. Um, <laughs> but my point being is that Roy was a real sort of stubborn guy, right? And I think he's a he's a very strong willed. He still wanted to take the team yesterday. Um, That's a mark of a man, it, isn't it? Really? Yeah, he really it, football is his life and. He doesn't need the money, that's for sure. And he did them a bit of a favour when he came back. So for it all to end in the way that it did, I feel is very distasteful. The lack of respect, as I said to you earlier, shown all round has been really poor. And I know that a lot of people are very critical of my view of Roy or being entrenched, as I'm described, or whatever it is, in defending Roy or seeing Roy. And I don't want this to come across the wrong way, but perhaps doing what I do, I'm privy to lots of information that perhaps not everybody else is a lot of the time. And therefore, I think when you have this in your in your mind and you're able to to evaluate and look at all of the things that are there, I think it perhaps changes your view and I, and I and I'll say this to anybody if I put either of you two in our training ground for one week around seeing what goes on with staff and players and all the things that happen and all the way that that things are managed your view would change from wherever it is now it would change like a little bit because you would see things and go oh I understand that better now or I I understand why it works like that. And and I know that both of you, because I, I listen to you both and I really enjoy listening to you both, two very sensible people talking about our club that I, 
I find, you know, give a really well-balanced view of, of matters. But I'm going to say to you, I know you were both critical over the the Roy and Michael Elise at Brighton, which was the sort of straw that broke the camel's back to a degree, I think, yeah. with, with a lot of people. I've talked to three or four people in professional football who are coaches, managers and so on about this in the last couple of weeks. Every single one of them told me they would have done exactly what Roy did. I'm on. So for all the Harry hindsights that we've got at our disposal, we can all comment on the past but can't see the future. Um, you know, I do... I think it's all, and you were talking about the things Roy says. Now, I'm in, at the away games, I'm at every one of his press conferences, and Ed does all the home ones, and I, he sends me the audio for everything, not just what is in the public domain in terms of the, you know, broadcast stuff, but actually all the stuff that's said to the, to the written press as well. So much of this stuff is taken out of context or used in a very, very difficult way against Roy, where it's almost like people are looking forensically over every word that he says, trying to find a stick to beat him with over and over again. I'm in the room most of the time. I hear it. And, you know, the stuff he says and the context he says it. And Ed sent me after the Bournemouth game, we said about the fans were spoiled and all that. And that's all there. Oh, we're spoiled. He thinks we're spoiled and all that. He was talking about the rise of Crystal Palace being a fourth-tier club when he was a fan as a kid to where it is now, and he described it as a bona fide Premier League football club. And these, all the stuff that's written is so often twisted and turned, oh, and he criticised this young player, and he said this, and he said that. It's all done with a real angle and an agenda so often. I think it's just so unfair. The bloke is an absolute... Gentlemen, I, I agree entirely with yourselves. Can I just play devil's advocate though? With on, you? Do you please. think in 2024 he's yeah. come back as a Premier League manager? That is the name of the game. He sat in front of a room full of journalists. He knows that from that 12 minute interview, call it, in front of a load of people, eight seconds, the most you know salacious eight seconds of it, is what is going to be taken away from it. Do you think sometimes? And, and taking into account Joe's point in terms of he has got tetchy at times, there's been a clear kind of grumpiness to him at, at points. The the post-match interview he did with the TNT Sport after Liverpool, he's, he was openly cross and livid about the state of VAR and such. But do you think, Selzy, there's a, not a responsibility on him, but he needs to acknowledge that the, the name of the game has changed somewhat since he was a manager 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Like As, as football's evolved, does his approach to media engagement, say, need to evolve too? I can understand you saying that. and I, and, But I would say to you, I actually admire the bloke's honesty and straight-talking approach to exactly to, to what he does. And, and like I said to you, I don't want to talk all night about Roy and all that sort of stuff, but I just think that people look for angles all the time to have a go at the bloke for. And, you know, he gets, he gets the blame for every injured player you know, Michael Elise, by the way, did break down after his first return from from his hamstring injury in the summer before he actually even made it onto the field. And, you know, people forget that. But 
you know, it would be Roy's fault in some way because he probably looked at him in a funny way or whatever anyone wants to level at him next. You know, it's just stuff that's just, it's it, it's so poor to sort of look at, 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 at what we've, what what goes on and everything is his fault and it's his fault and everybody now listen I've been in professional football environment for many years working and I can tell you every time a player is injured there is a blame culture inside a football club where everyone is pointing the finger at somebody else and you know they point it at Roy as well and you know after people in the club tell you that he works them too hard and the other half are telling you that they're getting all the injuries because they're not conditioned enough and they can't do it this way. So tell me what is the right answer and what is the perfect number and so on because I'm not sure that it really exists. But every, obviously everybody's got a theory and an angle and they'll all put their angle first to make sure that it goes on to somebody else. I've seen it myself in the past. Right? I've seen it and I understand what, what happens. And... I just think that so much of this stuff is is such a sad end to a bloke who has done only really right by everybody. You know, you heard him in the summer say, we need four new players. Yeah. Didn't get them. Yeah. But the next press conference, he says, oh, you know, we kept hold of Michael Elisa and Eberet Chiesa and all this sort of stuff. And it's a big success because he toes the party line. He does He does the right things. He respects his employers and he's a really good guy. And as I said to you, when you see all this stuff and you recognise what a poor hand he's been dealt, and again, I've said to you, I think Crystal Palace, if they're relegated this season, they'll be relegated for one thing and one thing only, that they didn't sign enough attacking wide players that could go past people with the ball in August. And then incredulously allowed it to go on in January and didn't do it then either. So if they are relegated this season, that will be the reason that Crystal Palace are relegated. All right? That's, that's not going to happen, because it's all going to be amazing now with Glasnable. So don't put the listeners well, off. Listen, <laughs> I really, Jack, I really hope we're right. We all want that and we're all longing for that. But I'm saying to you, at this moment in time, I think... We have spun the ball on the roulette wheel here and I actually think it was probably safer not to do it and just try and grind it out. And just one other point about the team last night at Everton, I think was picked by Roy several days ago. So I don't think there was any particular input from Glasnow. I do understand from bits I've picked up in passing that he has a way of playing where I think he's thinking about trying to get Edward and Mateta together as a pair in the way that he plays to try and give us a better goal threat, particularly while we haven't got Michael and Ebbs. I also think that Chris Richards is probably one of our Premier League players who is good enough. And then having he with Joa and uh, Mark Gehi, you know, perhaps it is the way to play because... I'd argue in one or two other areas, we don't necessarily have really good choices in those positions. So you're going to have to find a shape and a way of playing like we did last night where it was reasonably effective. But let's not go overboard because we did play 
Everton, who barely could score a goal in the last five games or whatever, and we must keep some context to it, that perhaps we should have put the game out of sight before we did, but we know how difficult it is to defend cross after cross after cross after cross with the size, and eventually it yielded them a goal last night. But I do think, you know, it would be really interesting to see how Mr Glasner is able to, 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 to Oliver Glasner is able to, to reshape and, and deal with this squad. Because, again, I think ultimately, as in the Chelsea game the week before, we basically haven't got a point or three points because we've run out of gas with about 20 minutes to go. And we haven't actually got anything else to bring onto the field that's going to going to to um to change the picture for us or help us get over the line. And you know, Franca, again, you know, he played against um Chelsea the week before. He showed some nice touches, but he was also pretty irresponsible at times and let the team down in certain areas. And again, because of this that Franca has been the silver bullet all season, that is the answer. That must be why we're not winning football matches, and we're going to play this bloke, and he's going to we're going to start winning football matches. Again, I have an opinion on Franca. I probably would have played him more often than Roy. That's my opinion, but Roy's opinion would be better placed than mine because he sees him every single day and sees him up close. And no matter what any fan tells you or thinks, football managers, a in my experience, do not go. Yeah, he's our best player. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave him out every week because he's our best player and he's going to win us football matches. And B, tell the owners, yeah, don't sign me any new players because I don't want any of those because I've often heard that about Roy on several occasions. You know, oh, Roy's refused this player and Roy refuses this player and so on. In all honesty, I think Roy knows if he's going to be there for a year, he'll accept the players that the club buys because it's their football club, as he said, and let them get on with it. And he'll pick them if he sees fit and they should be in his team. Now, I hope Matthias Franza becomes a great footballer and wins the Ballon d'Or and stands outside the uh, the shutter doors at Sainsbury's holding it up in the car park. All right, but let's be honest, I don't think that's too likely based on what we've seen so far. But again, there's the because of the agendas and the, the things that people want to push, we're talking about you know, Rob said to me, and I argued with him on the pod, on the post-match pod, oh, you know, give him 15 matches and all this sort of stuff. But when we lose four of them, you'll be calling for the manager's head and saying he's got to go. And also, he's actually got to show that he's worthy. Not a bloke, not a kid that blows up after 50 minutes that can't run for the rest of the game. You know, that's, you know, it, and you have to also understand, I think, in a wider context, what it means to his teammates and the other players at the club that you persevere with a bloke who's not fit enough to last the game and so on. What message does it send to all the other players that are competing to be in the team? You know, and again, I'm not trying to be condescending or rude here when I say these things, but I think there's so much more to it than people ever, oh, just do this and just play him and just put him in and just do that. These people do have to actually show you something that they should be there. You know, you know, Nehru Ahamada, or Ahamada, whoever we pronounce his name, he's been the answer for the last 12 months. Well, I've seen flashes from him, but there's nothing I've seen in 12 months that could make me say, this bloke should be in our team every week. And anybody that says so, 
I'm sorry, you're you're doing that more in hope than what we've actually witnessed along the way. And I just I'm just trying to say these things to you purely for balance and the the fact that I'm not trying to be clever or smarter than anybody else, but I do see things, know things, hear things that I'm never gonna sit on this podcast and tell everybody. And sometimes I think, you know, those that have been very unhappy with my views and and make these kind of comments or sort of suggest that I'm, uh, as as one post was sent to me the other week, that because Dean Kiley is a minority shareholder in my company and owns 4% of the shares, that I'm doing this to protect his position in the football club. The same bloke that worked for Patrick Vieira, by the way. Well, I wasn't doing it then, funnily enough. But there you go. You can't win them all, can you? But this is well, when Selzy, when this... you nominate Dean Carley for three, two, one this week, we'll know where it comes from. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think. But but this is my point, you know. And, and I deal with these goalkeepers, so I'm pro this one and not this one, and so on. You know, it, it's it's actually. I, I, again, I don't mind people disagreeing with me or seeing it a different way, but. Actually, some of it all goes a bit over the line, even with me, let alone Roy Hodgson. Do you know what I mean? If I'm Roy Hodgson or Steve Parrish, if I was Steve Parrish, do you know, I think I'd have stuck my fingers up by now and said, do one, the lot of you, and see how you get on without me, because you haven't had it so good any time in your Crystal Palace life. But because Steve is so mild-mannered, able to absorb it all and just cracks on and gets on with it, it again, it, 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 why does it have to be that you cannot disagree with him over certain policies. Is this not what happens in politics when when you vote for a party to get into power? You're never going to hundred percent agree with every every uh, every decision they make or every policy they've got. It's a bit like the manager when he picks the team on a Saturday, and you see the Twitter account and all the people commenting underneath. Oh shit! Get rid of him. He shouldn't be playing. He should be playing. No, he should be playing him. He should be. You know? Do they all think? All three of us now, if I, all said, if I said to you two, for example, let you give me the best 11 players that Crystal Palace can put on the pitch in your shape from what you've seen this season and what we've got, I bet the three of us would have eight or nine players that are the same. Yeah. And there'll probably be a couple that we'd be going, well, I'd do this instead of that, and I'd do that instead of that. Because it is a game of opinions, and only one bloke can actually pick the team every week who's better qualified and smarter and cleverer and more knowledgeable and sees more and understands more about it than all of us, and that's why he's there. Now, it doesn't mean that people can't have an opinion, but I have to say some of the opinions are just so far short, it it, it drives me insane, and I just hope at least now, again, I've gone into another monologue, sorry, it's um, but I just hope at least now that the relief is... There, there's a new guy in charge and all this nonsense will actually stop because if we want to stay in the Premier League, yeah, we're, going we're, going to need it. we're going to need it to. And yeah. I, I, again, I'll no doubt I have some fans telling me that I'm telling them how to think or what to do. But if you want to get your club relegated, we've really got the recipe for it right here. You know, a nice bit of toxicity, anti the manager, anti the owners, lots of injuries, bad atmosphere at the ground. All of those things. If you want us to go down, crack on. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. actually, we need everyone together right now to sort of get on with it. And if we're not able to put a very good team on the pitch, actually, even more, 
that mentality that we had in that first season, for example, with Tony Pulis's team, where it wasn't very good, we didn't have great players, but guess what? Everybody knew it, and everybody thought, you know what? We'll dig in here, we'll be behind everybody, and we'll give it a right good go. And guess what? We made it, didn't we? Because we did that, and we need to do that again. But people need to rediscover that, you know, we need to fight for what we've got and stop turning up thinking we'll just clap the goals going in and we should beat everyone that's put in front of us because it ain't going to happen. That's football, baby. So, Glasgow was in the stand at Goodison Park, sat with Dougie Friedman, uh, Steve Parrish and Mark Bright. Um, What's what was a? I thought the pundits on on Sky were very dismissive of the of the game uh, as a spectacle. I I quite enjoyed the ninety minutes. It didn't all go to plan. Um, but oh, sorry, my head was gone. It didn't all go to plan, but it's you know as well, much as there was Jamie O'Hara. Well, Jamie O'Hara today on the radio last night on the radio calling for Palace versus Everton matches to be banned from the fixture list or something ridiculous. I mean, if we're talking about people whose opinions shouldn't (laughs) be listened to, Jamie O'Hara is one of them. But no, I agree with you, Joe. I thought it was quite a competitive game. And to be honest, I think I was watching it from such a relaxed position because the the situation has somewhat been resolved that was providing such attention for so many Palace fans. It was nice to to actually just watch the game of football knowing that the decision's been made, whether you agree with it or not. Um, and particularly in that second half, there were facets of the performance which I was really encouraged by. And I hope the manager was. You know, I think he'll have seen, as we talked about that that formation, whether it was picked by uh, design or by necessity, there were positives associated with that. But Munoz had a very good game, very energetic, provides a, a, a an energy up that right-hand side that we've not had for a very long time. We've been talking about that across all podcasts for a number of years now. Thought the three centre halves did really well. I thought you know, Celsi just mentioned Chris Richards. I thought he did really well against Dominic Calvert Lewin, who is one of the better aerial threats in the division. And then Adam Wharton thought did really well again from the start of a Premier League game, a league that's new to him. And in terms of our output on the, on the final third, Jordan Ayew scores another belting goal. We, we joked last week, didn't we, Joe, about you know we need to stop scoring such outrageously great goals, and we've, yeah. we've done another one. So. It's, yeah. it's the problem is Jackie. It's the only way you can score them at the moment for twenty five. <laughs> that's the yards. thing. Because we don't get any closer. That is, uh, yeah, that, that's not lost on me. I mean, that that, that was the, the closer we got, the, the weaker our shots were on target last night. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think an Edward effort, first half straight at the keeper. Um, second half, I think one of the better openings came to fell to Tyrick Mitchell, who that that ball is still trickling towards the goal line. Actually, yes. he chipped that so faintly. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, and you know what? I was really encouraged by how often he was trying to get forward. It, you know, I, I think people in the discussions of trying to talking about wing backs at Palace, a lot of the discussion has often just gone. You know, I don't expect too much of Tyrick on that side, but at least if we just have one, then there's a balance that keeps. Um, and I do think if that's the approach with both sides going when the time is right, I, I think Mitchell is pulling is doing his part in that responsibility going forward based off yesterday. And, you know, next time it might be Munoz in that position instead of him on the right side. And as we said, it's a different level, but five goals this season (laughs) from right back. I can see how, I can see how he landed himself in some goal scoring opportunities because he was very high up up the pitch quite often. But 
Um, as well, we'll get some individual performances in three, two, one. Listener questions will ask a, a fair few of those as well. Um, the things that no, are, can I? I'll just ask you on the wing back stuff and Jack. You know, yeah, what you think? Because I think at the moment, without proper wide players that we've got to mm-hmm. go past anyone with a ball that are fit, mm-hmm. it is probably the only way to play. And dare I say this out loud, for fear of uh, recrimination or being beheaded, that. I actually think Jeffrey Schluck could also be an alternative left wing back because I actually think that may suit him the most given his abilities and playing style. So he or Tyrick could can do it on that side in the meantime. I do I do think that even last night if you'd have perhaps had Michael and Ebbs playing Inside, and I thought Odds and Edward actually showed up quite well in flashes. Yeah, he played well I mean, last night. Yeah. You, you guys have had a little bit more benefit than me because I've not seen any. I've seen some brief highlights. Obviously, I was at the game. I, I saw it live, but I've not had all the commentary and all the comments and all the input from all the pundits and so on that you've all witnessed watching it on TV. So I'm a little bit out of that in terms of, out of the loop in terms of all the detail in that respect. But my feeling was that Odds and Edward actually showed up quite well for the hour, 70 minutes or whatever it was before he was knackered. But uh, yeah. uh, it was, we looked a little bit more threatening with him and Jordan in there and, and found a sort of way to play really with the other two getting on the overlap. So it and wasn't one, what, all one bad, thing that I... Yeah, and well, just a point, just in terms of the width being provided by by the wing backs, and Joe watched on, on TV as well. But Munoz in the first half was further ahead than uh, the Mitchell was, and the second half Mitchell became the the more attacking outlet. What I've read about Glasner is, and somewhat happened with this with the goal actually, in that he does like his his goal threats to be playing closer together. So if there is a fall of the ball in a certain way, there is more chance of it falling to one of our players and get a shot away or play a smart pass and play into space or whatever. There was a lot of that in the first half, wasn't there? A lot of that in the first half. We, we Really quick, know, one-touch yeah. passing, we're all within quite close proximity to each other and yeah. sort of zipping our way into a space and out of trouble. Yeah. Um, there's a, a Lerma, the Lerma chance, which I think he skies in the first half, comes nice from... That. It's yeah. a really nice work on the left-hand side and it's quickly brought over to... Uh, yeah. Munoz, who's got space on the right-hand side, who sets it for Lerma, I think. Probably could have taken a touch, but, you know, it's all, he doesn't know that, maybe. Hit it with his left foot, didn't he, that one? Yeah. But, um, but there were times of overlaps. Like yeah, there were times of overlaps where the overlap was actually wasted. And I think it's going to take time for us to get familiar with wing-backs actually being the highest player on the pitch. And I think there was one where, in the first half, Tariq Mitchell makes a you know lung-busting run. Jordan Ayew's instinct is to go inside and play the ball inside. But actually... The space and the the attack and the the opportunity was with, was with Tyreek. But my question with Tyreek in particular, he's very solid defensively. I think at times he overthinks attacking wise, and actually some of his best play in the final third in a Palace shirt has been instinctive first time crosses. I think of the cross he put in for Mateta last year; that was an absolute gem of a cross. And other other times when he does his best stuff is when he's instinctively on the front foot, one touch stuff. There were a couple of times last night, and I think the chip that we touched on there, Joe, being one, he overthought it and in the end tried to dink it over a keeper 10 yards away from the goal line. It's just, you know, it, it was never going to threaten the goal despite being a, a, what looked like a decent opportunity. But Munoz, I mean, at one point in the first half, he was chasing down the goalkeeper. That guy is, 
is energy. And we've talked about chaos with Jean-Philippe Mateta. Maybe we need a few more characters in that team bringing a bit of chaos and you know, bringing a bit of difference to it. But, yeah. That, that, does, all, that does all come at a price, though. I, I feel like, particularly in the short term, the concerns that will follow into the early days of, of Glasner's reign are, great, if you're going to play Edouard and Mateta together, when one or both are out of puff on a 60, 70 minutes, yeah. you look to the bench and go, Oh, one of you should have to stay on then. Great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I feel like that was a real one of the uh, one of the various factors that led to uh, Everton equalizing in the end. I just feel like the good work that we were doing in possession, um, certainly on the break, we were able to do a little bit less of it. I know we'd gone in front and naturally might sit back a little bit, but I felt like the energy levels were depleting and it just invited and, you know, Everton have made two really, uh, more than two really impressive subs. Um, Jack Harrison would have played in most games for Palace this season. Yeah, um, Anana is going to go. And was available to us to loan, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. oh, good. Well, there you go. And then you have him, and then you have Anana who came off the bench, um, who is constantly touted for bigger moves. Um, yeah. You know, we weren't able to do that. And I don't, and I, and I feel like it's cost us games before that lack of depth. Um, and I thought it was quite obvious later on last night at Goodison how what was really working well for us, we were able to do less and less of towards the end because players looked shattered and the alternatives on the bench there weren't great. I mean, I, there's probably people listening <laughs> screaming that maybe Francis should have come on, but equally for what we need, we did still need to dig in deep on top of... Uh, do you think, think Matessa stayed on for defensive set-piece duty? Selzy, was that your thought in the ground as well, that yeah, he's six I, I foot four? The, the size, and, and I don't know if you felt it watching it on TV, but it just seemed to me that every time they got the ball, stick it in the box, stick it in the box, stick it in the box, you know. They're just whipping balls around the around the front, uh, around the back of us and in front of Calvert-Lewin and co. And it's really difficult to defend because it's sort of relentless. And, you know, the goal they scored, they virtually sort of bullied it really, from through, you know, I think Sam, I thought, did really well overall, but he might be disappointed being under the ball and, 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 and the head of the big tower. In it. But again, I'm going to say to you, he might be disappointed because everyone from the outside will go, oh, goalie, you know, did a, I can't tell you how hard that is. That ball takes about 0.4 of a second to get there. And you've got to make a decision, get there, all those bodies, the physical side of it, it is such a difficult job. Such a difficult job. And They're so fans, big that you know, they are so big that team as well, aren't they, Chelsea? It's horrible, you know. And that's the, and that's the biggest player in their team who yeah. scores yeah. it. A big, yeah. the tallest of a very tall team. Yeah, yeah. So yes. I think he's, I think he's Dean Henderson's tenant actually, O'Nana, in his house. One of his oh, yeah, since he moved down here, so I told him to double the rent. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> it's um, but the uh, the. I, I, I do think, as you said, that the, and it felt like that to me that we really tired quite badly in the game. And after Odson Edward went off, we sort of lost a bit of our. It was almost, our threat, as, soon, really. almost as soon as we yeah. scored, Selzy from from TV. It felt like we went one up. Breathe the sigh of relief. Breathe the sigh of relief, and actually the the break in play leading to the the centre was actually the bit that killed us. Really, we never really return to those energy levels that we were showing in that 10 minutes before we scored. I felt we were actually in a really good place before we scored. And then we scored that goal and you're thinking, oh, here we go. 
And then we really placated and then dropped a level. And I don't know if it, that was the speeding in the ground too. I didn't think Everton were great. And this is this no. is where I'm I'm trying to be what's the word? Practical in my thinking or or at least sensible that I'm not sure that as good as it worked last night, our system and stuff like that, you know, we, we are playing against a team that's struggling to score goals at the moment and, and weren't a great threat for a lot of the game. Um, but I, uh, so it's not necessarily an easy gauge is what I'm trying to say for us as to whether that's really, really going to work or not. But as we've discussed, I think there probably isn't too much of a choice at the moment to do it any other way. I don't, I don't know if we'll have Ebbs back on Saturday. I initially thought that we might do from what I'd sort of picked up, but that seemed less likely when I sort of asked a couple of questions yesterday. And Mark, I'm not sure again, the same. But um, but again, you're talking about Tyrick getting forward. We could perhaps use one of his timely goals as he did in the away game at Turf Moor earlier in the season. And again, you know, that day, I mean, I'm sure we'll come on and preview Burnley, but we weren't exactly at our best that day, but we looked like the we looked like the Premier League experienced team that picked their pocket and knew how to win, basically. Mm. And that and we got a result. But, you know, to say we were sort of better team in that on that occasion, we certainly weren't really. But it's football and the best team doesn't always win. Just the team that scores the most goals, and that's uh, and that's the nature of the game. So, I do, I don't think anybody should be turning up on Saturday thinking, "Oh, Burnley at home, three points nailed on." Because I think the tenth one is could, could be quite tricky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Joe, is be... it still ten? Is sorry, go on, no, go on. Man. I was just going to say, is this still part one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we're still in part. We're all still in part one. It'll, it's going to be a long part one anyway. This is going to be the three and a half. You got done, got in trouble for an hour and forty minutes last <laughs> yeah, week. You're yeah, going yeah, yeah. to get this one to about five hours. <laughs> you have to listen to a bit each day for five days in a week. It's like the Lord of the Rings trilogy we've got going yeah. on here. Each part. Oh my goodness! But yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how fans that were maybe critical of certain things in the previous regime mm. and check management era will see. When come Saturday, those same problems will still arise, and and they will for the next few games. Glasner is supposedly a real high energy style of play, and you know we enjoyed it. You know, it, and I think we will with with the wing backs, and I think we will with some of the play that we've been doing in, it, and we will do under him. But we are still going to tire and still going to be struggling for options to do make in game changes that keep us in the game and in the level and. I don't think we're over that hill yet. I feel like it might get worse or it gets better. There may need to be some compromise from uh, Glasner himself. I think that was my kind of big takeaway point. Green King Sport asked me to talk about Glasner's appointment uh, on their Instagram. And that was my main thing was I've heard great things, but, you know, before we get there, you know, if we make it to the summer and he can implement all these great changes and sign the players that are in his mould, but we've got to get there first and, we're going to have to get there by hook or by crook, whatever it takes. That, that is so sensible, your take. I, I have this slight worry about all this stuff, and I'll tell you what it is. You know, we t- everyone follows Pep Guardiola. Okay, so if Pep Guardiola decides that 
we're never going to have defensive walls anymore and everyone's going to stand on the line. The next week, everyone will be doing it, right? Because that's what happens. But when you're Pep Guardiola and you're the richest club in the world and you've got the pick of all the players that you want, you can have a philosophy. You can decide this is how you're going to play and this is what we want. And these words like identity and all these kind of buzzwords that get pushed around modern coaches. And I'm all for it. And I hope that we're able to do that at Crystal Palace. But what you've just said was really profound in the fact that high-intensity, high-energy, with Will Hughes and Adam Wharton in midfield, I think that might be quite difficult. Because as good as Adam Wharton is on the ball, I don't think he's a supreme athlete by any means. Will Hughes certainly isn't a supreme athlete for what he brings to the to the side. So if you want to play this way, I, I'm, I have to say I'm a believer that you turn up at a football club you look at what you've got to work with and you try and find the best way of using your best players in an effective manner to achieve results. I think, as you say, once the slate's clean in the summer, we can go and recruit in a different way and decide how we're going to play and this is what we're going to do. That's all fine and dandy. But I'm not, I never have been really a believer in the coach that forces his. Um, identity or way of playing onto players who are not good enough to do it. We saw this with Frank De Boer to a degree. And what we saw with Frank De Boer, and why it was a disaster, is that he basically had all our most effective players doing things in 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 areas where they weren't affecting the game or or able to hurt the opposition. And that was his that was his downfall. Wilfred too deep, too easy to play against, you know, and, and so on. And and I worry about it. I hope I don't have to worry because I don't know enough and I haven't seen enough and I don't know what he's going to think of these players and he'll sure have some ideas that are different and let's hope they work. But as you said, Joe... Selzy, that's why I'm a bit concerned about the narrative that's emerged from last night, that he has somehow instilled his direction on the team already, despite the fact that Inks barely joined his contract and... You know, I appreciate there were similarities with what we expect will come in time, but I, I wouldn't be surprised that when everyone is fit in terms of the playing staff we currently have contracted to us, without thinking of the imaginary signings that he's going to hopefully make in the summer, we probably will revert to a back four, and we probably will play in a formation that best suits Ebbs and Elise. And you've just got to hope that there's that pragmatic element to it, because while Premier League security is in our own hands still, games like Saturday they're going to fly by and we've got to make the most of those games before we you know, head into a very tricky April and May. So I, I am concerned at the narrative. I wonder, I'm intrigued by his press conference before the game. You know, I'm sure he'll be asked questions along the lines of, you know, did you have any influence on the team on Monday? There were similarities between that team and, you know, maybe your Frankfurt team. I hope he's quite open and honest and says, no, that was Ray and Paddy's use of the players that are available to them and, and and we'll go forward with with how I want to use this squad because I think if he I don't know could just see himself tripping himself up I don't think he will I think what I've read about him with his time but particularly at Wolfsburg he did he was fairly pragmatic he was fairly pragmatic and the and question I'd ask you Jack is that if we got Dick three 0 Everton like we did last year yeah, yeah. as we were. Would, yeah. would anybody have been saying, oh, this is his influence on the game? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The fact it was a, a fairly positive night, and I was on the pod with, with Dom post um, the Roy announcement, 
and there was an expectation that we were going to get rolled over last night. I think there was some suspicion about the team coming in. And, you know, I think last night was a really good point. And I hear what you're saying, Selzy, in terms of Everton being bang average, and they really were, and they're not anywhere near the, the type of confidence level they were when they came to Selhurst in November. But that's two points they didn't get last night and a point that I don't think many Palace fans had us down for last night. So I'd have taken that before kickoff all day long. The, the Everton thing, Jack, from November... And this is something, again, that probably goes against the grain because I read a lot of people that were anti-Roy playing Chris Richards as the holding midfield player. The decoré miss before the injury. I've got to tell you, he was the most effective at it and gave us the most security of anyone that's played there. Will Hughes played there because decoré was fatigued the week before Luton when he got injured. Mm. We lost three goals. Will Hughes played half an hour there at Luton. We lost another two goals. Will Hughes played there against Sheffield United. We lost two goals. We lost seven goals with Will Hughes as the as the sitting player in front of the back four. Against teams below against us. Teams that are below us in the table, you know. Yeah. And it's not always, you know, I, I'm sure that Roy, when he was doing it, didn't want to play Chris Richards there particularly, and he'd rather have checked the quarry there. Of course he would, but he's well, injured. It was, twi- it, it was a twist of fate that led to him playing yeah. there at West Ham, wasn't it? Yes, but actually, yeah. sometimes you've got to stop the opposition. You've got to have size. Check um, Kuyate, never a great talent on the ball, but actually when you're playing the big teams and they're having a lot of the ball, he's very, very effective at stopping them playing and, and stopping them hurting you and able to get around the pitch with that big long stride and those long legs and, and make tackles and... You know, that athleticism is required in that role. It's really important. And I do think that Chris Richards' performances as that sort of holding midfield player or defensive shield actually didn't get the recognition that they deserved. In fact, far too much criticism because he doesn't get us playing and all that sort of stuff. Well, I get that. But it's no good if you get playing if you lose three goals every week because you're not strong enough and stable enough to... stop the opposition hurting you. So there has to be trade-offs in this situation. And again, comes back to the squad and how the squad's been structured and put together. And, so and the managers is... are having to hold this. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't checked. But I think before last night, I think we were maybe one or two points worse off than we were at this stage last year under Patrick Vieira when we had Wilfred, Michael Alise and Everett Chiesa. I can't say to you that if those three players had been fit all season in our team, that we wouldn't be much higher up the league. And so, again, I I come back to, I I felt that Patrick was underachieving with the players that he had at his disposal. I can't say that I felt at any stage this season we're better. And I think I said this to you before a ball was kicked, that we are fourth or fifth worst team in this Premier League with this squad that we've got and we're going to struggle. And it, and that's why I've never been un, that unhappy or it's come as a huge surprise to me because I've felt it from day one, from before a ball was... You know, we won at Sheffield United on the very first day. I'm at Bramall Lane and yeah. I'm thinking, we're going to play Arsenal next week. How are we going to hurt Arsenal with this team? How are we going to score goals? I'll go to the game. I'll take... Um, I think I took Aaron Ramsdale's agent, actually, was with me as a guest. And he said, can Palace win? And I said, no, they can't win. 
because they don't have the firepower to hurt the opposition. And we are going into war and have been going into war as an attacking force all season where they've got their cannons and their grenades and everything they can throw us. And we're turning up with a bloody water pistol and a pen. Selzy bingo. To, to Selzy bingo. There you go. But it's true. It's so true. It's so true. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think that's... And, it doesn't, and I don't care. And Joe's right. I don't care who the manager is and, and what he can do and what he can't can, do. Yeah. He still doesn't have enough at his disposal. And I hope Oliver Glasner turns up and we win every game for the rest of the season and he's an absolute Roberto De Zerbi style manager and we're going to have a great time with him managing Crystal Palace. But I do fear that even he might be a little bit upset when he sees the players that he's going to get to work with and perhaps might have to temper some of his ambitions and his ideals and ideas. That, that's why I'm so surprised. That's why I'm so surprised he's taking the job now. Uh, uh, yeah, with the nine o'clock, let's jump into some list of questions very quickly in part two, because yeah, before um, this the transcript of this becomes like war and peace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boys, I've talked far too much, but it's, it's so much to talk about and so many it, different topics. They're all running into each other. We could all go for half an hour at a time without taking yeah. breath at the moment. I think it is the biggest news week in the season for Palace by a distance, isn't it? So, yeah, it's quite understandable that it's, it might well end up eight, being the eight, 18 podcasts in one you're hosting this week, Joe. Someone's got to do it. All right, let's see you very quickly in Jump Into Part 2. Part two of the five-year plan podcast sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Uh, we'll make this a bumper part as well. Let's let's combine a few things. So listen to questions. Uh, naturally, in a week like we've had, a lot of correspondence on social media, a lot of questions. Um, but of course, given how much there has been to talk about, I think we've covered a lot of what I'm seeing. So I'm just going to pick a few particular ones that... Uh, maybe we have a bit more to expand upon. Um, there's a there's a phrase that's coming up a lot. I, I've maybe fallen into this trap as well, which is set-piece coach as a, as a term. Now, uh, people are saying, is there any chance that, for example, Simon Robinson asked on Instagram, is there any chance Glasner brings in a set-piece coach? Surely that, and people are asking, sure that's uh, something we have to address sooner rather than later. Is it as simple as that? Is it, you know, are we are we naive enough to think that it's just not being looked at at least twice, three times a week in training. Is it as simple as the physique of the players we've got? What um, between you? I'd start with you, Adam. What something like the set pieces? We have been particularly away from home. We've been letting in a lot of set piece goals. Is it really as simple as just that one person in a job? I know that clubs in the Premier League, it's now a thing. They people do have set piece coaches. Some as specific as throwing coaches, and and they, their whole job is analysing that particular pattern of play. Is it? Just what, for listening the context there, as Joe asked the question, that was a foul throw, Joe, that you just Yes, did. sorry, yes, yeah, yeah. You didn't, get your, you didn't get your hands behind your head properly. No, that yeah, that's why I can't be the throwing coach. So, uh, yeah, I've taught myself <laughs> out of the job there. But, Adam, do you think, is it is it as simple as a, a, just someone being a specialist employed for that job, a different specialist if we don't have one already, to changing that? Or, or is there, it's, it's just multiple factors that have us, being so 
just vulnerable at set pieces and corners, especially I, recently. I, I sort of get quite, um, again, frustrated with some of the stuff. This being one of them, you know, the, this and other phrases like "there's no plan B" and things like that. What is, what is plan B? Is you're going to change tactics during a game and 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 try and use different personnel if you've got them to try and turn a game. You know that every coach tries to do that or wants to do that, regardless of what anybody thinks. In 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 and this set piece stuff, you know, again, uh, is like oh, we conceded in the first five minutes again. Told the lads to keep it tight and make sure we didn't concede in the first five minutes. Well, actually. You told the lads not to concede in 90 minutes, let alone the first five minutes, because that's what we're actually trying to do. You know, these kind of stupid and ridiculous terms that get tossed around, you know, nobody wants to concede in five minutes, 90 minutes. And the problem you have with set pieces is that you can work on them all day long. Dean Kiley can drill those players, Roy, Ray, Paddy, whatever, day in, day out. But at the end of the day, there are sometimes physical mismatches, you know, and it is it is set pieces are a great leveller. But it doesn't matter if you're Manchester City or the Crown and Scepter Reserves, because if the bloke that's delivering the ball for the Crown and Scepter Reserves has got seven blokes that are six foot four in the box, they're going to be an aerial threat even against Manchester City. That's the reality of it, because size matters sometimes in these situations. And you can drill people, you can rehearse it, you can do it. It's all about the delivery, how you defend it, whether you're determined, you, whether you're going to get your man is going to outdo you, you're going to get there first. All these things are factors. We talked about, well, I sorry, I did in the first part about that West Ham game towards the end of last season when we played champagne football and we were magnificent. We got completely outpowered. Mm-hmm. on three corner kicks, or two at least, I think. And, a, and I think the first goal might have come from a free kick second phase or something like yeah. that. I can't remember. But but it's not as simple as, oh, we just do this, or, oh, we just do that, and that solves the problem again. It really is, as we just talked about Everton last night, how difficult it is when they keep throwing the ball in the box, throwing the ball in the box, and you've got all those bodies. It's, it's so hard to deal with. And I think that, yes, you know, you can you can reel out stats that we're not scoring from set plays, we're not defending them very well and so on. But really, you know, if I take, for example, Lewis Dunk's goal against Palace, the first goal in the 4-1 defeat a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. what, what would a set-piece coach have done other than the fact that I think it was Joa loses his man and he beats him to the ball and heads it in. You can train and do that and rehearse that a million times. Doesn't mean he's going to get there first next time. He just doesn't. So I really, you can argue about set-piece coaches, staff and all that, but just because somebody is appointed as set-piece coach, it doesn't mean that he does set-pieces better than the goalkeeper coach. You can also do set-piece coaching or Roy or Ray or Paddy or whoever. I mean, for, for, for what I know about the staffing element, I'm expecting Ray to leave because he's been with Roy. I think Paddy and Dean at the moment will be kept on as far as I'm sort of understanding it. I guess that will be 
up to them also to make choices and whether they want to work with the new manager or want to see if it works with the new manager and so on. But there'll be there'll be interesting Paddy as well, presumably from some clubs as well. If they, yeah. Well, he's, uh, I think he's turned down a couple of jobs since he's been our right. assistant manager. Or first so Oxford one sells. He was quite heavily linked with, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think he Swindon were interested in him and the club not back an approach. I think for them at one point, I think there's been. You know, Paddy's Paddy will do all right. I think Paddy's a good fella, and I think he he has the makings or the you know the 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 skill set to be a very good manager. And I would imagine working with Ray and Roy for a couple of years and seeing everything close up would have been a fantastic experience for him and help him on his way. You know, and uh, and you know, let's see that uh, he can't do, do this with the with the with the new. Uh, the new boss, but again, we've got so much to, uh, to 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 talk about. But one thing we can't talk about is what it's going to look like this weekend and in the coming weeks, because really at this point we don't have too much of a guide, do we? Joe, just on set pieces last night, I thought while the negative obviously was seeding equaliser in the the old fashioned way again, I actually thought. From an attacking phase, I actually thought we looked more threatening from set pieces than we have done for some time. Previously. Yeah, yeah. I thought we, you know the one that gets knocked off the line, but even the ones that Everton were getting away, we seem to be in closer proximity to someone like Tarkovsky, who is you know just a magnet for a ball in a in a penalty box. He just gets his head on everything, but we look to be closer to getting that touch, which when a ball moves at such speed in a penalty box can be the difference. Just one minor touch, it puts it. In the, in the direction and causes chaos. I, I was more encouraged by that, but the stat was shown before the game last night on Sky's coverage. We are bottom of the league, and we are bottom of the league in terms of goals from the set pieces considerably. Like it has been a very very long time since uh, since we scored from a corner, and it's nice to see better threat. And I think Walton's delivery last night was better suited to the type of threat that we can pose, given the the players we've got in in the penalty box, but. That that was a positive. It was disappointing to concede again, but you know, absolute the Alamo coming at you from set pieces from an Everton perspective. Yeah, you know, it was, it was relentless. Yeah. And it's, relentless. Uh, you you mentioned how kind of poor earlier that Everton are generally. One of the things that is positive for them this season is that they score so many from set pieces. Well, for the chart that we were bottom of, they're top of by a million yeah. miles. Fifty percent so. of their what? league goals this season are. One thing I'd, I'd I'd say to both of you is that I think. We're not a particularly big team, yeah. you know. Often, you really and see it. Uh, you really see us when you line up for centre halves. And you think, I don't know. You two are sort of mid nineties Palace fans, aren't you? You so yeah. I remember Andy got, Linegan. That's that's the kind of right, okay. frame of a centre back. Yeah, Dave, Dave Tuttle yeah. could, could go up in the opposition's box and put a tower in. Yeah, yeah. You know, prior to that, it was Eric Young and Eric Young, yeah, and yeah. people like that, yeah, yeah. and. Mark Gehi and Joe Anderson, I wouldn't say, and and both are, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of both and are exceptional central defenders for Crystal Palace, but I wouldn't call either of them really aerially dominant. And no. Joe, for his size, probably, well, he's scored two goals this season, both with his feet in the opposition's penalty yeah. box. Which one a poacher's finish and the other one. What, what yeah. a player he is. But actually, I think he should probably be doing a bit better aerially for us. 
in both boxes, you know, in that sense, for some of the ones that have conceded and, and the ones that we, we're not scoring. But there aren't too many others where you're going, oh, we've got big side here and we're going to get on the end of stuff and and, and make, it, uh, make it difficult. I mean, I, I do think prior when Christian Benteke was here, as much as he didn't always produce at the top end of the pitch, he was actually a very good defensive player for us in set-piece situations, again, with his size and his aerial prowess. You know, I think, you know, a lot of that does depend on personnel and it depends on the delivery of the ball, of course, as you were just talking about. There's so so much to it. It's not it's not just as simple as, you know, if you've got James Ward-Prowse or Trent Alexander-Arnold, you're probably going to score more goals from set plays because they're that good at delivering the ball or, or hitting the target themselves and you're going to get... I mean, let's face it. If you set the wall up with Trent or uh, or um, James Ward Prowse, and there'll be people booing and hissing at the podcast as I mention his name. <laughs> but the, the ability they have to just stick the ball over the wall and put it into that side of the goal is—it's almost like a penalty kick for them, quite honestly. Next question: uh, Sam Adams on Instagram. Hi, Sam. Will Glasnam coming in mean we might not have to sell the crown jewels in the summer, or is a complete squad rebuild still likely expected? We we kind of touched on it earlier. Given the profile of the manager, the decision to come in to the club now rather than in the summer, when it seemingly there were a lot of managers who are happy to take the job in the summer, but not now. So, Jack, what are, are we trying? Are we putting two two together here, thinking well, in order for someone of Glass's profile to come in now, it would have taken a few incentives, a few things that would reassure him. Do, would you think that is, is... Are there other factors? Would it just be a bigger wage packet offer, a signing-on fee that would get him over the line to come in now? Or do you have? are you suddenly more optimistic about what might happen in the summer? There's going to be at least one sale, surely. I don't know. There's, you know, surely. Well, I think even without Glasner coming in, we all presume there would be at least one out of the door and and we <laughs> we keep flirting with the idea of it, but this new model is reliant upon people going out the other door as well as coming in one door. So, look, if you think of the crown jewels, if you, even if you just break it down to three, Michael Lise, Eberich Ezer, and Mark Gaye, well, Mark Gaye is three years into a five-year contract. I don't believe he signed an extension yet. I don't think there's any murmurings that that, that is close, even if the club are trying to do that. So he's, you know, 60% through his contract, and he's probably at the highest value he would be because even if he maintains the form and the class at which he plays at, you'd think one year out from the end of his contract, the pressure would be on Palace to, to cash in. Yeah. Michael Elise and Eberich Ezer both signed extended contracts, but there's a known release clause within both. Or Sorry, it's known that there are release clauses in both. We don't know what the release clauses are. So in that sense, the club are gearing towards making a sale because that's just the, the reality of it. This is from a late... I mean, Adam might give you a different version of it, but from a fan's perspective without any real knowledge of how the, the inner workings of the game actually occur. That's how I'm considering it at the moment. But I think my expectation for the summer is that there will be a kitty available to the new manager to enforce and to play in the way that he wants to play from next season. And that kitty will be informed by the club's funds, which are there, presumably, being a Premier League club, but also via the, the selling of, of one of the, the more prominent figures within the squad. That's my expectation. Um, and I do actually think, as, as 
awful as it would be to go. I guess Decore is the other one yeah. of that, but he won't go because you know he's going to go into the summer injured and might he might even start next season injured. My expectation is that one will go, and actually, despite the horrible reality that that would present, it'd be a very sad day when any of those three go. I think we almost need to see that play out to see how this model is actually going to work for Crystal Palace for a phase two, phase three, whatever you want to call it, occur. I think we need to start seeing how that model goes because eventually these players whose values are very high will drop. And that's the risk I think with Gay at the moment. I think if you, if, if you keep him beyond this summer, particularly if he goes to the Euros yeah. and he doesn't sign an extended contract, I could see that, that asset, the value of that asset starting to drop. Yeah. And we've been there before, haven't we? <laughs> We're to the point yeah. where Wilf is yeah. on his way. Um, yeah. The other thing as well, you know, this main stand, you know, it was reported in the press around Christmas time that, or January that they are trying to source additional funds and to ease that inflated budget or costing that it would be for that development. But, you know, I guess the quickest way to do that would be to sell a player if they fail at that. I hear sort of different things at different times. And again, I think it's going to be quite hard to call because a lot may depend on what happens in the boardroom in any case, in terms right. of ownership. I I think, you know, I was told that we were going to sell three players for circa £200 million or something like that, potentially, and sign six players with the money that it was going to generate. Now, again, whether that's just a sort of plan or plucking a number from the from the sky, I think that it may be difficult for Michael Elise, Eberet Chiesa, Czech Decore to be sold for very big money based on their injury records of this season. And so, I mean, even if I'm a huge Michael Elise or Ebbs fan, if I'm Manchester City and I like Michael Elisa and it's £80 million or whatever it might be, am I going to do that based on the fact he's having so many problems with hamstring injuries throughout the season and so on? No pre-season in three years either. You no, think he's been correct. injured for all of them? You know, so what you mean? We had no pre-season with Michael Elisa and we had Matthias Franza with one of the... Uh, we managed to always manage to find a... a a wild player with a with a crack in his spine somewhere that nobody knows about until they turn up. It's catching, and yet we still, yet we still don't sign any wild players, Joe. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, and this is what? this is. Uh, I'm going backwards again now, but anyway, yeah. that's the kind of. What do you think about Celsi? What do you think about Gay? What do you think of the chances of, of Mark Gay going this summer? I think your analysis is probably quite good because uh, you know I just thought the club will be properly trying to tie him to a longer-term deal unless they've already basically decided, right, you'll do a couple of seasons, three seasons, whatever it is. This is his third season with us now. Coming to the end of his third year, yeah. the five-year so, contract, yeah. So, yeah, I, I I would probably read into that where you are in, in that respect. But I don't, I don't actually see them being able to raise that kind of amount of money during the summer with the injuries to those players that perhaps they might have hoped. But, I mean, again, and and going back to the boardroom stuff, again, just things I pick up in various conversations as I go along. But 
I think John Texter will go big or go home, basically. So I think he will either try and take the club lock, stock and barrel and operate it, whether his other Americans in the boardroom and Steve would be willing to or open to doing so. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, that would be pure conjecture if I if I gave you any any view on that. But likewise, I think if he isn't able to do that, I don't think he may necessarily keep up his interest the other way. But then if he hasn't got anyone who's going to come and buy his shares, then the status quo will remain. And that is perhaps the widest problem with the club in terms of the future. You know... <laughs> Is it very easy to operate the club in the way that you would like if you're in a situation where you don't have one man that's calling the shots in that in that respect? You know, I think it is very much in the balance, I think, Palace's sort of next step, if you like, in that respect, because I couldn't tell you exactly which way it would go, but I'm, I'm hopeful, Selzy, that with Glasner coming from his, I mean, two very big German league sides in terms of Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt, that he will, you know, in terms of steady ownership of German clubs, you know, German FA instructs that the club ownership is is steady and there's fan engagement and stuff. I'm hopeful that as part of his assurances in taking this job, he has asked questions about the, you know, tumultuous nature of the boardroom relationships and has been given you know, assurances that things are on a level at the moment and will be going into the summer. I, I, I'm hopeful that's the case because that's another variable that's, that could lead to a very interesting summer if, if the manager isn't backed in the way that, that maybe he's been advised he will be. I think that's a concern with Lopetegui. I know, you know, a fair bit of what's gone on at Wolverhampton Wanderers in the summer and, uh, you know, I think the problem with Palace is that he would have wanted a big backing to come and take over, yeah. even if, you know, and I think he, he, he did have his admirers in the boardroom. But as we know, that's not generally been the case at Palace. And that, um, and again, I, I don't, I, I'm keen to stress as I'm saying this, that I don't fault the club in that respect. You know, we've got what we've got. We've got the income we've got. We've got the cash that we've got. What upsets me more is that, we're then not more active with free agents and loans and things like that to help bolster the squad, you know, and, and and perhaps, you know, also that we've tended to be a little bit too clever for our own good at times. And actually, if we talk about all of the players that we we most like or the most value in the group, Eza, Elise, Gehi, Wharton now, common denominator is they've all come out of the tier below in English football and we've been able to get a very good handle on them prior. The Francis and the Hamadas, on the other hand, have been a little bit hit and miss and that's because I don't think you quite know what you're getting. So it it is quite interesting to see what the future holds in in that respect. And I don't think fans should be unhappy with the owners for what we've got or what we can spend and all that sort of stuff. But I think they can be unhappy that we haven't actually covered the bases properly, which is my real disappointment with it in that respect. But I do 
I do think that something needs to give at the top of Crystal Palace. And that something is either going to be John Texter sweeping the board or John Texter disappearing and somebody else taking control or or what's going to happen with his shares. But John Texter isn't necessarily in the perfect position because if he can't have control and he doesn't, isn't able to buy the rest of the shares from the other owners, then he's still got to find someone to buy his share and who might not want to do it without full control either. So it, it, it's quite tricky. And, and again, I'm... I'll make no apologies for defending Steve because I'm a fan of Steve's, a big fan of Steve's. He's a very clever bloke. He's a very astute bloke. The the, the other questions we've got about um, individual performances at Goodison, which I think we'll probably conflate with what we'll get into in 3 one so I'll probably just jump into that. There's some others as well about Glasner's preferences, Glasner's uh, tactics moving forward. You know, it's still a bit of an unknown. We can't even, as you saw there, we can speculate. We can't answer on the guarantees that Glasner might have been given by the current ownership as to why he took the job now and what, what he can expect to do, which goalkeeper he could choose. That was a question that was asked a few, few times, Adam, and I won't pin that. I won't, I won't, we won't I won't, go down I won't, that road, please, not, This week, I'll save you that this week until we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll wait till after the Burnley and, and we'll see what on. actually went down. I'll need the tweezers for the splinters that I've just yes. got stuck in my <laughs> yeah, arm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just pulling them out now. We'll do a ton of questions it's next week, Joe. On it anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll do that next week. Let's... <laughs> Let's jump into 3 2 1 then. Um, Selzy's first time on this, so this is, you know, we each bring forward a player based on the performance of the last match, which was, uh, of course, the draw at Goodison Park. And uh, we divvy up points accordingly, uh, which then get tallied up on our league table at the end of the season. Um, I think, is it John, is it Lerma or Mateta that's top of the league now? I think JP, JP might be a, a, a nose hair ahead of, of Jefferson Lerma. Blimey. I think it'd be fair to say that there have been quite long odds on that at the start of the season. Absolutely. Quite long odds on that in December, Selzy. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fair, isn't it? Uh, I'll, I'll throw. You, I'll, I'll turn to you then first, Jack. Do you do you have a player in mind that you'd like to put forward? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put forward uh, Adam Wharton again. I, th- I thought he had a really good first half in particular. Um, watching from home, I know it's a different one, Selzy. I, I'd love to get your perspective on it because I think he got a lot of applause last night, and it it might need to be tempered slightly by you know the the nature of that first half in particular. I think he probably got the space that allowed him to flourish. I don't think the, the tempo of that first half was particularly great and therefore he was able to do it. But I thought he read the game quite nicely. He got the better of James Garner, who I actually rate quite highly and read this morning, Gareth Southgate is looking at getting a, a call up for, for the uh, March international. So I thought he put himself about, but he did suffer as the game went on um, and, and was eventually pulled for, for David Ozo. But no, I thought there's, there's some moments in that first half where you could see why Palace have followed him for as long as they have and why they've gone in now ahead of the summer chase for him. Because I think, I think I said this last week, but I think if, if this guy had another half a season in the championship, I think more and more clubs would have been put on red alert because he's clearly much, much better than the championship. He already looks pretty comfortable in the Premier League. I think what we'll need to see from him is his physical development and that combined with his you know, just basic football brain. is His football brain is is right up there. He He knows how to use the ball um, he, he's a very nice user of the ball. 
And while the physicality is a is a concern of mine, he is still getting involved. He is still breaking up play. Um, and I thought he had a very good, particularly the first half yesterday. But yeah, very very happy with this signing. I think it looks a very good good piece of business. Yeah. So he, what about what about that point in terms of the tempo of that first half? Did it benefit him a little bit in terms of? Yeah, I mean, I I like him as a player. I'm I'm just slightly concerned. I asked somebody who watched him very regularly for Blackburn Rovers and told me this bloke is top, 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 top. And uh, I said to him, okay, compare him to a player, because I like this. Whenever somebody talks to me about a player, okay, tell me, tell me what he is, you know. And then, you know, I, I, if I was talking about our youth team players back in the day, you know, I yeah. would say, oh, this is a, this is a sort of a, a Teddy Sheringham, poor man's Teddy Sheringham, or a shorter, more dynamic version, but clever, or, you know, these kind of, you know, this is how you talk. Someone about. like Hayden Mullins uh, got compared to a lot of players, didn't he, when he came through? Yeah. Hayden Mullins was often compared to England centre-halves and things like that, yeah. So you would you would do this, and this person, I said, well, go on, tell me, tell me about Adam Wharton then, tell me the player that he's most like, and the... And the man in question, and I'm not going to name him, but he'll be very well known to all our listeners if they follow football. And um, perhaps, no, can I say this or not? No, don't, 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 don't. If you're questioning whether you he's, should say something, a, don't yeah, say it. He's very, he's very well known for, uh, in the media, let's say, for his work. And uh, he said to me, the player he would most compare him to was Paul Gascoigne. So I thought, well, that's a little bit of a shout. That is, <laughs> that that is unbelievable. And slightly, slightly punchy, I might add. But um, do you, do you think I'm we not... need to temp? Do you think we need to temper our expectations with themselves? Yeah. I think. I yes. mean, he, he's played yeah. in two defeats and a point away from home. Like he hasn't led us to a, a three-game yeah. winning. No, but he he is a talented. He's a very, very, very clever passer. Yeah, and and the clips I saw from Blackburn before we took him, he could see a pass that no one else could see and there wasn't one. So he's very, very clever. He can see things, you know, quickly. He's got good pictures. He's young and I like him. My negative with Adam Wharton so far is a little bit like Husey in the fact that I don't think he's the greatest athlete around the pitch in that respect. I don't think he's... I don't know... I think he could get us playing as a sort of sitting player, and but I don't know if athletically he's going to give you what Czech Decore gives you, for example, in a as a defensive shield as well as getting you playing. And so, two of them together is quite a nice idea, though, isn't it? How how it rolls, really. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm going to usurp you here, Jack, with my choice. Because yeah, go on. I'm actually quite disgusted with you, but I'm I, and I can't say I'll say that about you very often. <laughs> But there was a certain Crystal Palace stalwart that really stepped up. Too to obvious. The... I feel like I can't pick him anymore. It's too <laughs> obvious. In the, in, the, in the club's hour of need last night. He when, was great. He was fantastic. When, when this bloke rocked up who's maligned by everyone, who seems to always find a way of forcing his way back into the picture, who's a top bloke and a great servant. And when the club's in trouble and everyone's predicting a dick in for us on Merseyside. There he is, yeah. throwing his heart and his soul into every, and his head and his foot into every challenge and header. And 
and, and he's yet betrayed by the leader of his fan club on this very podcast. <laughs> he then went for Adam Wharton, Johnny come lately ahead of him. Do you know what I mean? Which just It genuinely it, look, I, I genuinely think I've gone so far into the wormhole now, I can't yeah. praise him too forcefully because it just looks contrived. In a minute, when you throw me the ball about him, I'll wax lyrical, but I'll let you go first. Okay. So I'm going to give Joel Ward my choice for this week for stepping up to the plate in very difficult circumstances. And both he and Jordan last night, yeah. that's I, you, not Pickford I'm talking about, but the <laughs> uh, both he and Jordan last night, I thought um, really came to the fore in a difficult time for us and two players that have probably not always been universally appreciated by our fan base, but they kind of typified the spirit that we showed last night and, were, you know, the, 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 the type of display it was and the, the, the pressure that, that, that Joel was under, particularly as, a, as a, one of the three centre-halves, I thought, you know, he handled it very well. And I, I still think actually now that that is his best position given his age and all that sort of stuff. And he's done okay when he's played as a sort of auxiliary centre-half. And I do I, I do think last night he made a major contribution in the game for us with his leadership and his uh, and his and his um, never say die attitude. So Joel Ward is going to get my vote this week. The first time I've ever voted on three two one. Hope you appreciate me, Wardy. Um, but uh, I'm now handing you don't over. Tell me, to don't tell me he listened, Selzy. That'll blow my mind. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know if he does, but. Uh, but uh, I'm now giving you to the leader of the Joel Ward fan club, who's betrayed you, Wardy, I'm afraid, but he's now going to step up to the plate himself and say some nice things about you. Look, I, I think the thing with Wardy is actually his leadership is often unheralded. I think a lot of people often ignore the positive impact he has on those around him, and obviously he's he's had his struggles this season. He's had struggles at points throughout his Palace crew, but he's always bounced back. But last night... I, I thought he was absolutely exceptional. For a bloke who's not played Premier League football for, for nigh on nine weeks, to, to come in and play at that level just typified the servant. I think you described him as a servant there, Selzy. I, I think, yeah, there's no better man to kind of highlight that particular role within the club. And um, I, I think we benefited from his presence on the pitch last night. He won headers all night long. Um, and playing in that centre-half role, whether it's part of a three or part of a two. I remember thinking he looked very comfortable at centre-half towards the end of Patrick Vieira's first season where he dropped in and I think was played next to Mark Gay for a couple of games and he looked very comfortable. And I think, might be wrong here, but I think he might have come through Portsmouth as a centre-half. So, you know, he's clearly got natural instinct in terms of playing in that part of the pitch. Playing as part of a three, he's obviously also supporting Munoz, who's relatively new signing, but yeah, it's a great shout, and and I thought he was he was really really good last night, and I'm I'm chuffed for him because he's been written off time and time and time again. And there's not a Palace fan who doesn't love Joel Ward, even if they don't think so. They deep down they bloody love Joel. Written written off, Jack, having cost four hundred grand. Oh, don't eleven Premier League seasons <laughs> yeah. and got us promotion in the nearly twelve nearly twelve seasons I, ago. I don't think we can take the receipt back and get a refund. No, do you? No. No, top bloke and um, chuff for him. And again, how many managers is this now for Joel Ward? Another manager he'll play under. I mean, it's got to be, you know, in terms of Palace, probably a, a record in terms of managers that one player's played under. It's, well, it's ridiculous. Maybe, um, 
maybe our man that's on the Palace Minute might be due another one at this point, and maybe we'll have another. Joel Ward is Roberto Colos that we had, didn't we, from Frank DeVore <laughs> in, in the last one, which... Uh, <laughs> Don't uh, worry, Brighty, everything's going to be all right. Joe, I know you love Joel. Go on, what, what are your thoughts on Joel last night? Well, you mentioned Joel the man there as well. Um, on the weekend, Joel Ward went down to South North mm. Community Kitchen with the club, um, I think representing the club. Uh, you know, I saw it, uh, one of the HF posted about it. Uh, just a, a, well, as you can imagine, a, a food kitchen, food bank, soup kitchen place in, in South Norwood. And um, yeah, just, just the mark of the man on a weekend where we're not playing. Um, just, just you know, just when whenever the opportunity is put forward to do to represent the club in the best way, he's a great ambassador for the football club, and I think he always has been and 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 will be for however long he's here. But it is still great when you see him make the impact that he can like that on the pitch. I thought I thought it was a really nice to see him enjoying enjoying the the war and, and going through it and act and you know. Helping us get that point over the line, I dare say. We've mentioned already the height and the tr- and the struggles in the area, and you know just the bombardment of aerial play from from Everton. Um, you know, Calvert Lewin didn't score. Let's be honest. Despite all the run, what things that people were saying on TV about, you know, he hasn't scored. He hasn't, he's been on a bad run. Every Palace fan going into that game, seeing he was on a bad run, went ah. So naturally, that run ends against Crystal Palace because we're. That oh, those does. kind of those kind of patterns tend to break. We're the rule breaker with those, and and he didn't not because he's a poor finisher and he's low on confidence. Where was it may factor in? But it really was that the three centre halves did their utmost best to make any header at goal as uncomfortable as um, difficult as possible, whether or not they had the height advantage. And Joel Ward was a massive part of that in that game. So I think he's absolutely. If you hadn't put thrown him in, Adam, I would have. I would have. It would have Joe, been my... I, I think. I, I think I'm allowed to say this. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of phrase it carefully, but Wardy, what he does around the place, from the bits I pick up, summer pre-season, he hosts a party on a Sunday afternoon at his house to welcome all the new players to the club and integrate them and all their wives and all that sort of stuff and children. And obviously, we've been having a bad run of late. And so the players have their own internal meetings, if you want to call that, in inverted commas, conversations between them. Who's the host? Who's the person that leads it? Who puts it all together? Bordy. Not in the team, by the way, but not the bloke who's sitting there licking his wounds saying, it's not me and I should be playing and all that sort of stuff. Still doing the right things. Bloke deserves a lot of credit. Will go down as one of the greatest signings in Crystal Palace's history and yet again it's the old familiarity breeds contempt and mm. yes Joel's getting on Joel's not at the he's in the twilight of his career but as with Steve Parrish as with Roy Hodgson and so on we learn that you are unfortunately a little bit too quickly at times yesterday's man in the eyes of the Crystal Palace public and sometimes Nobody goes on forever, none of us, but it doesn't go amiss now and again to evaluate and appreciate people that have made a major contribution to the club just because it isn't their moment right now. But Wardy has done all that and still last night 
made it his moment right now. So full credit to him. His moment right now, Silzy, and last night he went eighth in the all-time appearance list. Went clear of Nigel Martin last night. So big performance, but a big night for, for Joel Ward. 350 Palace you, appearances. I, I can tell you, Jack, he's a much better right back than Nigel Martin. <laughs> And and fully deserves his shout in this week's 3-2-1. I'm going to go for a signing that is not... I don't don't, don't know where he ranks in terms of greatest signings in Palace history in the same way that Joel Ward does. But certainly somebody who, forgive me, I'm stealing this from somebody else, one of the questions earlier, who's put him forward as certainly possibly the greatest signing under Roy Hodgson at Palace. Mm -hmm. Jordan Ayew... A great goal, and I thought a, another really the sort of before, battling performance that he revels in. Actually, you know, not in the team necessarily to score goals. I think we've long accepted that, and I think he relishes the requirements that are put under him by Palace managers. And that game on Monday night was exactly the sort of game where Jordan Ayew can frustrate, where he buys us time, where he relieves some tension by winning fouls, by drawing fouls, and um, keeping the ball in a corner towards the end, annoying the Goodison Park faithful, um, getting sort of rolled eyes from uh, Everton players that have, think they haven't fouled him, but they, that he's got the foul anyway. It was uh, a masterclass in that side of Jordan Ayew's game that is what essentially what has kept him at the club this long, I think. it's I love him when he's in that full flow and it's working. But on top of that, to get the goal as well, and what a goal. Really, really delighted with him yesterday. The fact that Ben Godfrey ended the game last night spitting blood and wanted to kill Jordan Ayew, I think, summed up Jordan Ayew's performance last night. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. There were parts of the first half where he kicks that... You know, technically, I think Jordan gets a, a little bit glossed over by the kind of national media. I don't think people realise how skillful and technical he is. People just kind of consider him as one of these weird long-serving Premier League players, but there were elements of his first-half play which were really, really technically good. But then that second half, that goal's great, and then he's pivotal to our last 10 minutes, the the kind of... the the front end of the rear guard in the sense that he's the one that puts takes the ball in the corner. John-Philippe Mateta could barely move at that point, and Jordan Ayew was struggling to move, but still took the ball at every opportunity. Sales, I don't know where you were sat last night. Are you in the director's box behind the dugout? I was, in, I was in the press box, which is behind the director's box. Yeah. Jordan would have actually been my other shout if yeah. you'd have come up with Joel Ward first, which I was half expecting you to, to be honest. So that was my that was my reserve uh, choice. I this is something that again, when we talk about players, I find really interesting because when you sign players, for example, you know they do well at the previous football club, and you go, oh yeah, we like him, we'll sign him. But sometimes it's about using the player in the perfect way and your team setup might not suit that player in the same way perhaps that he did at his previous club. You know, there are all the factors involved anyway in a transfer when you talk about language, geography, settling in areas, children, schools, wives, tactics, shape of the team, what you're asked to do. For instance, you know, I think back to your you two in your early days watching Crystal Palace, David Hopkin mm. was a terrific sort of attacking midfield player that could score goals. George Graham signed him for Leeds and used him as a defensive midfield player where he wasn't a success. And that's my point. You know, you do, you're not using him in the right way to get the 
the best from him, for example. But what I was going to say to you is my frustration with Jordan, I think, is that, again, and this is a problem with all of our wide players, apart from Michael currently, Jez, I'll have to give an excuse or, a, or, or give him a little bit of leeway here because I haven't seen enough of him as yet to know properly. But Jordan doesn't do particularly well going around the outside of fullbacks. He likes to meander and go inside and wriggle around and do his bit. Now, I think that slightly narrower situation with the wing-backs last night may have suited Jordan's game almost perfectly because I think Jordan is really a centre-forward or a sort of inside-forward, but he's not a, a winger or wide player that's going to get the ball, face up the fullback. Wriggle past him, leave him on his ass on the outside and, and, and deliver a cross or whatever. He's done it here and there. I think he did it at Sheffield United on the first day of the season yeah. for Odson Edwards goal when I was there. But in general, I actually think that in this current setup, if we play in that shape, we might actually get the maximum out of Jordan Ayu playing in that role because I think what he's being asked to do might just suit him the most of all his traits, really, in his game. But And again, the reason I wanted to sort of highlight that is often fans are quick to dig a player out or, 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 or you know, as I've done really to a degree, saying about him not being able to beat someone on the outside and get, get round him. But what we asked him to do last night makes Jordan I look a much better player. Yeah. I think he might benefit from that proximity of player that I mentioned earlier. I, I could see IU benefiting hugely from balls dropping in parts of the pitch where he doesn't normally pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. He he was right up there last night and the goal the goal topped it off really. It was a great strike. Great, great strike. Yeah. And something to cheer for have you know, yeah. the people travelling games, including yourself. So there's not been a lot to cheer goal scoring wise away from home for a little while. Um We've got to divvy up before we go. I think we're going to skip the uh, Burnley preview, just as partly as well because we Glasner, we actually don't know how we want to set up. It's all pure speculation, and we've done plenty of that tonight. But what we do need to do before we go is divvy up the three, two, and one points respectively to each of these. Who are we going to fight? Wharton's at the bottom of the pile. Clearly, I mean, Selzy's not talking to me after that, so I've got to put him. I'm happy to go to the bottom. So I'll let you divvy up the the other two. Oh. Give him a drink. I'm going to give Joel Ward the three points. There you go. Ward, Ward, are you Wharton? That's the that's the running order. Yeah, yeah. You, you're, you're just you're Joe, going too far the other way, Jack, to not say yeah. you want to give him the three points. So we're going to do it for you. Have yeah. Joe, it's all right. I can I can do the preview for Burnley. Turn up, get behind the team. Don't take anything for granted. And make sure you make lots of noise because we're going to need all the help we can get. And if you want to be in the Premier League next season, turn up and put your issues to one side. And we might not have the strongest team on the pitch and they're going to need all your help. So there's your Burnley preview. We need to win. All right? We need to win this game on Saturday. Finish. Exactly. Adam Sells, thank you very much for your contribution this week. Great to have you on. And finally... Uh, finally meet you, finally have a chat with you. This is this is no, for me. I, 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 thank you very much for having me. Sorry I was so busy at Everton last night for the patrons. I wasn't able to to join. Uh, the boys wanted to go to bed and I wasn't leaving Goodison until about half 11, I don't think. So right. uh, that wasn't really uh, 
too workable for me. And Rob did say he wanted to do something with me. So I thought, well, if you two want to entertain me, I can tell you both how much I enjoy listening to you every week and uh, how good it is. And the, 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 the both of you should be on radio or TV. It's that silky and smooth. And um, I enjoy some sensible, rational opinions about Crystal Palace rather than he's got to go, he's useless, he's shit and whatever else gets served up. It's not really what it's supposed to be about. And it's really enjoyable to listen to to two younger guys, obviously you are a bit younger than me, that are able to articulate and put together such a, a, a nice and sensible and really enjoyable production every week for Palace fans. Well, thanks very much. That's very nice. Appreciate that, Selzy. Thank no you. No problem. Jack, once, as always, thank you for joining me and hopefully see you at Sellers very soon. Yes, mate. And, uh, thank you for, and thanks for staying us. Choppy waters, Joe. You get the choppiest of waters, mate. I feel... That's the gig, isn't it? When you're a firefighter of a manager, if you do well one time at a club, that, that becomes your remit then. The, the next club yeah. wants you for that. So uh, I'm, I'll, hoping I'll... For, I'm, I'm hoping for the plainest of sailings next week after Burnley. There'll be nothing to talk about next well, week. Exactly. Yeah, it's all over. In fact, after this one, we might just do an hour's silence next week, actually, <laughs> yeah. just to do that. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a record week, I think, for Five Year Player Podcast output. And uh, you're very welcome, listener. And uh, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you guys for joining me and we'll see you all again very, very soon. Take care. Life turns against West Ham Reminds me of Jordan A.U. Last minute at the Amex When Big Ben put him through, yeah Hodgson's made him a baller Now he's running rings around you Jordan A.U. Jordan A.U. The football don't feel like it should without Jordan and you The football don't feel like it should without Jordan and you Oh no Sports Social Podcast Network